0: Welcome to the Dollars and Hops Podcast, where we help you optimize your financial future. Here are your hosts, Scott and Lance. Welcome back to the Dollars and Hops Podcast. We're excited you're here with us. My name is Lance, your host. Thanks for joining us. I have with me my good, good friend, Scott. Scott, what's the word, man? How are things? Well, Lance, things have been better. Yesterday, I woke up a little bit sick. I went and
1: got a coronavirus test. They stuck one of those swabs all the way up to my brain is what it felt like. I'm a little nasally, a little congested. I don't think I have the coronavirus, but I figured what better way to knock it out than to have a beer, you know, this this lovely (laughs) evening. Just have a beer and knock knock the corona or whatever the heck I have out. Right, uh,
0: right. I'll say that you you look better than you sound. You do <laughs> on on the FaceTime. You do look better than you sound because you do sound pretty pretty rough, pretty, pretty bad. But, uh, but you know what? We're I'm we're glad. doing it for the listeners here.
1: We're doing it for the listeners. That's right, man. I wanted That's to right. Do for this. the listening
0: community. We're, we're we're
1: gonna we're gonna we're gonna move forward here.
0: And obviously to the level of dedication here is just, I mean, it's incredible. It is incredible. <laughs> it is. Um,
1: so obviously today we're gonna to be talking about the four percent rule and what it means uh for your retirement planning. I think Lance and I, heck, before we even hit the record button, we were talking for probably about 20 minutes or so about the four percent rule and debating. So we're gonna we're excited to to hop into this one, but before we do. Uh, Each and every episode, Lance and I will sip on a craft brew.
0: Lance, what are you sipping on this week? We're going up north to the middle of the state, Columbia, South Carolina, to River Rat Brewery. And I'm going to be checking out the River Rat 803 IPA. 803 being, I guess, a nod to the area code there for Columbia. Excited to check this one out. This is our first beer we'll be featuring from River Rat Brewery. Great, great name, by the way. River Rat, what do you got, Scott?
1: Awesome. So I will be sipping on a Tropicannon. This is from Heavy Seas Beer out of Hailthorpe, Maryland. This is, I think, their second appearance on the podcast. I previously had the loose cannon there and I gave it a 93. So this is their sister beer and it's just infused with, uh, some, uh, citrus, uh, flavors. So some orange and some grapefruit. So I'm, I'm excited to dig into this one.
0: Basically some vitamin C in that beer to help you get through your, whatever you're battling. Yeah. It's a two for one. I get a beer and then I get,
1: you know, I get the vitamin C. (laughs) So I should be, it should be good to go tomorrow.
0: That's what I'm told about the citrus IPAs, lots of vitamin C. Great. Well, hey, we know that a lot of our listeners um, are working on plans to pay down their student debt. So to kick this show off, we've actually got some headlines we're going to share. Scott has found an article for us around the topic of refinancing mistakes to avoid with student loan debt. Scott, what can you tell us about this article? We're going to have it linked in the show notes. Yeah. So this
1: is from Fox Business. The headline is five student loan refinancing mistakes to avoid. Um, and obviously with interest rates dropping, there's a lot of people that might've had a longstanding student loan, or maybe even people that are getting out of college where the interest rates have dropped significantly since you've left school or since you got your student loan. So, um, I found that the, uh, this article says that the average student loan borrower owes $37,000. So obviously refinancing $37,000 would probably make a lot of sense if you can save.
0: Oddly enough, that's about the same amount as a brand new car from our last episode. Did you catch that? 37, 38,000? Interesting. Yeah.
1: So uh, this article says, you know, if if you are going to refinance, there's a few mistakes uh, that you would want to avoid. I thought they might be helpful to some of the listeners. Um, Number one, compare interest rates uh, from different lenders. So don't just get one quote, just like you wouldn't get one quote for your mortgage interest rate or your car loan. Uh, get multiple quotes. There's a couple different websites that, uh, they recommended one being credible.com and splash financial. Those two, uh, websites will help you shop for a loan and, uh, get you the best interest rate. Uh, number two, don't refinance a federal loan with a private lender. Um, this makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, There are some protections that you have under the federal student loan lending guidelines that you don't have when you um, take out a loan with a private lender. So there's, like right now, you have coronavirus going on. The CARES Act uh, was passed through, I think, December 31st for uh, forgiving student loan payments uh, during during the pandemic. That's something that you wouldn't have access to uh, those federal programs that they pass at a federal level. You don't have access to those um, subsidies uh, when you go with a private loan. So
0: that was d- delayed student loan payment, right? Like forbearance, not forgiveness. Is that right? Ex- exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Good call out Lance. That's right. <laughs> Wait, government's just handing out free money. <laughs> I wish, I wish Is they that were. Right.
1: <laughs> right. Um, yeah, hardly three. ever the case. <laughs> Number three here: they have check check your credit report uh, and make sure your your credit score looks accurate, and make sure that the items that are listed on your credit report are accurate, uh, and make sure that your score is as high as possible before you would go into uh, refinancing your your interest or your student loan. And then finally, make sure that when you are refinancing your student loan, make sure you're doing it with a fixed rate loan. You don't want to go into a variable rate where the rates might change, especially in today's uh, low interest rate environment. So I thought that might be helpful. All right. With that, Lance, let's get into talking about the 4% rule. Do you want to kick us off here?
0: Yeah, it's interesting. So the 4% rule, what I found is when speaking with friends about personal finance and plans and retirement investing strategies, uh, the 4% rule is not as commonly known as I had thought. Uh, the 4% rule is a a pretty interesting rule that was developed a couple of decades ago uh, that we're going to talk about the actual study that developed this. But it's a pretty important rule for planning and it's very interesting. Um, but I want to first start with the conundrum, right? The problem that this study addresses. So, if you're listening to the Dollars and Hops podcast and you're following the financial playbook and you start that at a younger age, let's say in your 20s or 30s, even in your 40s, and you start to invest for your future, right? You're living and giving on less than you make, you're investing the difference for your future, you're going to end up with some pretty sizable retirement accounts that are tax efficient, either in a 401k, 403b, Roth 401k, Roth IRA, traditional IRA, some kind of these tax efficient vehicles, and you're gonna have your nest egg is what we call it. The idea being that there's this bucket pile of money that is your retirement plan that you are to live off of for the rest of your life. You've made it to the retirement age. Retirement is not an age, it's a number, right? And so you've made it to the point where you think you have enough. Well, wait, how do you know you have enough? And how are you going to draw down that money in a tax-efficient way? How are you going to draw down that money in a way that you don't spend too much too fast and run out, which would be terrible if you ran out of money when you're 75 or 80 years old, if you live that long, and now you've run out of money when you were so diligent saving it, or you don't spend or give enough of it away that you leave more than you planned on leaving to your heirs, which wouldn't be a terrible problem, but still not ideal, right? Uh, So we want to have a plan in place to know that we've saved up enough and then our drawdown strategy is both tax efficient and safe, in a sense, um, as far as markets are concerned and historical returns and historical averages. And so I'm gonna let Scott talk about the actual rule, what it says, but you know there's all this data that's out there. Um, and it's important to note that past performances do not indicate future returns or future performances, right? We know that. However, we do have decades and decades and decades of market returns in the United States of what the market can return. And with that information, we are able to, determine some pretty good rules of thumb with high levels of certainty as much as possible. So Scott, why don't you take us a little bit further into the 4% rule? What what really is the 4%
1: rule? Yeah. So the 4% rule is, it's a rule of thumb for retirement spending. So if you spend only 4% of what you have in your investment accounts annually when you start out in retirement, the rule states that you'll likely never run out of money. So that's that's what every retiree wants. It's it's to never run out of money. So basically what you do is you add up all of your investment accounts and you withdraw 4% in your first year of retirement. And each subsequent year, you basically just adjust for inflation. So if you have a million dollars, four percent of a million dollars is forty thousand dollars, that would be what you take out in year one and then you would just adjust for inflation and this rule basically says you were very unlikely to run out of money. Uh, it's almost a certainty that you would not run out of money if you took out forty thousand dollars on a million and just inv- and just adjusted for inflation every year. So that is kind of the high level
0: of of what it is. Did I miss anything, Lance? Yeah, I think you hit it on the head. I mean, this this is a rule that's basically put there to give us confidence that when we actually choose to retire, that we have enough saved. We have enough saved to, because we have a monthly budget. We know what we're spending monthly. We know we have our trips and our giving planned out in our monthly budget. We have the lifestyle we've designed for ourselves that we want to live. Um, whether it's a high lifestyle or a low cost lifestyle, you get to choose, right? And so you determine the amount that you need to retire. And we're saying that if you can draw down 4% annually, and that number makes up 12 months of your monthly budget, then guess what? You have enough to retire. I I would even argue that this isn't just about retirement, but this can apply to the bridge account we talk about, right? Or this can apply to any sort of investment account with the investments we talk about and here on the dollars and hops podcast we talk about index fund investing for the long term multiple decades compound interest we've talked about all these principles already we're gonna continue to talk about them because they're that important but if you're investing in these types of funds over the long term multiple decades then this 4% rule can apply to any account and we're gonna even explore it further that some years it may not even be 4%. The whole idea is that you're pulling down less than what the market performed that year. And so that the count itself is still growing while you're pulling off just the eggs that the golden goose is laying without ever touching the goose. That's the whole idea. And those eggs in this example are the 4%. And that allows us to plan for a certain number as a target to feel confident that we know it's enough that we have enough to pull 4% off forever and still have a nest egg at the end when we die to leave um, to our heirs or to charities or churches, places of worship, or whatever we choose to do with it.
1: Yeah, certainly. And you you might be sitting there thinking, okay, well, this is great. Scott and Lance are telling me I can withdraw 4%. Where, where are they getting this number from? So mm, to, yeah. to kind of back up a little bit, this rule was created by somebody by the name of William uh, Bill Benjamin. Um, and it was made- Bill Bengen. What Bill a guy. Bengen, yes. Billy Bengen. So he was really made popular uh, by this uh, a study called the Trinity Study back in 1998. Benjamin wanted to know how much you could safely withdraw in retirement without ever running out of money. And obviously his final conclusion was, hey, you can you can withdraw 4% of your money in year one, an increase for inflation every year. There are some assumptions that he kind of came up with. Uh, obviously, I mentioned that you can uh, adjust for inflation, but there's there, there's there's another assumption that I think is quite important. His study was was based upon uh, really the 50-50 for portfolio, which is 50% bonds, 50% stocks, mm. and... Mm. As you adjust this stock and bond ratio, it can actually adjust the likelihood that your money will last longer. So he did some subsequent studies after his initial, and he kind of came up with a chart that kind of shows the likelihood that you'll run out of money based upon your stock versus bond exposure. And we'll post this on the uh, Dollars and Hops website under the show notes for uh, this episode so you guys can take a look. But what I found interesting is the higher the stock exposure, the lower the likelihood was that you actually run out of money. So I think typically when we start thinking about retirement, uh, I think a lot of the standard financial wisdom that's out there says, hey, you should have more bonds as you get closer to retirement. I mean, I've heard, right. I've heard many financial people that I listen to, podcasts and various different things, where they're, they're talking about 40%, you know, 50% bond exposure in retirement. And it's actually far more likely that you'll run out of money if you have that high Mm. level of bond exposure, than if you have a higher level
0: of stock exposure. That's so interesting. I think that's really interesting. And I think uh, what we've kind of found over the course of our own investing lives and learning and rolling with the, (laughs) even just the crazy markets we've seen in our short, short lives, we're so young, short, short lives of investing. What we've seen, we still believe that It makes sense to be in primarily, overwhelmingly, a majority of percentage of your portfolio being in stocks and index funds, which are made up of stocks. And we're going to have a future episode where we go deeper dive into bonds, where we talk in more depth of what bonds really are and why we are kind of against them long-term and capping your upside and supposedly capping your downside by so smoothing out the curve when you kind of mix some bonds into your portfolio. That's the idea. That's at least the conventional wisdom that really what this study has shown and what we also believe is that you can still have a a very conservative or safer portfolio, even with a high mix or a hundred percent in stocks. Scott, is that accurate?
1: Yeah, it it is. And, And I think when I, when I look at this chart, this, this kind of tells the story for me. So if you're drawing down 4% and you are 100% in bonds, you go into retirement 100% in bonds and you draw down 4% of your portfolio, there's a 54% likelihood that your money will last 30 years. That's, that's not a very good likelihood. If you just bump it up to 25% stocks, mm. it goes from 54 all the way up to 80% chance that your money will last. If you go to 50% stocks, all the way up to 95%. So you are capping your mm. upside in your investment portfolio by not investing in stocks. So as Lance said, we're, we're going to talk more about bonds in a future episode. But I think that there's just so much out there uh, in, in the financial world about bonds and how great they are in retirement. And in reality, they just don't perform when you need them the most, uh, and that's, you know, in in retirement, (laughs) they don't, they don't perform like you would think that they would.
0: Yeah, that's well said. And it is interesting. It it kind of is almost counterintuitive that you would think that by trying to go more of capital preservation, right. Instead of, uh, instead of going after growth and exposing yourself to quote unquote more risk for more return, you would think that might leave you, uh, on the shorter end of the stick long-term. Whereas what this study finds is that not only do you still have, let's just say at hundred percent stocks, 4% drawdown every single year of your retirement for 30 years, there's a 97% chance you don't run out of money. And when we say you don't run out of money, understand we're saying that that's like a worst case scenario, right? And this is, understand what this study is it's a rule of thumb study, okay? Right. This is this is not taking into account the fact that we are human beings with brains, and that if the market has a terrible, terrible year that uh, goes down 20%, and you don't need all 4% of what's left in your portfolio that year, then, hey, you're not going to take the full 4%, right? Which would then move you outside of the study and what it's trying to show. But the purpose of the study is still valuable in that it gives us a kind of a benchmark where by using this 4% and kind of reverse engineering it, which is what Scott's going to do, it gives you a ballpark number with all of your investment accounts put together of what you would actually need to retire with a high level of confidence that you're not going to run out of money, which is the lowest bar to to jump over, right? Because what we are saying is even when you kind of, jump into retirement where you no longer have a reliable income what we found is especially if you're an earlier retiree you're likely still going to have some sort of income uh, whether you think you will or not because you're going to have all this extra time on your hands and on top of that your portfolio is going to grow we're talking about not just run out it's going to grow through your retirement years even as you're you're pulling down on it drawing down on it less than it's growing that's the whole idea and By doing that, we're really leveraging the compound interest idea, which we talked about in a prior episode. Compound interest is huge. No doubt.
1: So I think it's kind of important to get into this whole idea of like, I say, reverse engineering the 4% rule. Uh, What that really means to me is what is. Like if you're not in retirement, you don't have the nest egg
0: already. Right. Wh- which is most of us, right? Probably.
1: Right. Like, yeah. You know, we're, we're, we're listening to this podcast. We're like, oh, that's great. You know, I can I have something to, to kind of shoot for. But how do you know if you're on track? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where the reverse engineering of the 4% rule comes in. So let's say you're not in retirement, but you want to use the 4% rule to figure out what your retirement number is. So let's say let's just say in this in a hypothetical example, you want to be able to spend and give about one hundred and twenty five thousand dollars annually in retirement. You expect that your Social Security will provide you about three thousand dollars per month, which we could probably debate. But let's just say three thousand dollars a month for Social Security is what you're expecting. Um, How much do you need to save in investment accounts to be able to retire? with your current lifestyle. So you're trying to figure out, okay, I know what I want to spend and give 125 grand. I know that I'm going to get roughly $36,000 a year from social security. Basically what you do is you subtract the 36,000 from the 125,000 that you're trying to spend and give to come up with $89,000 annually. That's what you need to shoot for. So if you take if you take that number and you divide it by 0.04, 4%, you come up with $2.225 million. That's what you would need in your investment accounts in order to be able to re- retire. So then you might say, okay, Scott, that's great. I have that number, $2.225 million. I, That's That's what I know I need in my retirement accounts, but I'm only 34 years old. How do I know if I'm going to have that amount based upon what I'm, what I have in my investment accounts currently and what I'm saving every year. And that's where a compound interest calculator comes, comes in handy. I, yeah, I I love, I think I mentioned this on every single podcast. I think I've linked to it in the show notes every single week, but basically all you do is you put in your, your initial uh, investment account balance what your expected interest rate is and how much you expect to contribute on an annual basis and how many more years you have until retirement. And you click the calculate button to find out if you're actually on track. And if you're not, well, you can play around with the calculator and figure out, do I need to save more? Can I save a little bit less, et cetera? So that's how you reverse engineer this to make it relevant in your life. If you're younger, like, like Lance and I are, we're, we're, we're younger. We're, we're not, we're not going to be retiring anytime soon. So this is something that we've kind of used in in our lives. Um, we've reverse engineered the 4% rule to figure out if we're on track.
0: I love the way you, you put that though, because honestly, that that's, that's probably the best way to use the 4% rule. I think it's just like a benchmark to see like, am I on track or not? If I'm not on track, hey, and, and you do have, you know, 10, 15 plus years to, until your desired retirement age, well, then no need to fret. It's better to know now than later. And that just means we got to start increasing our retirement contributions, right? Uh, if you do the benchmark and re- reverse this 4% rule and, and kind of get your retirement number of what you would need to pull down annually to get to that, you know, whatever your 12 months of your monthly budget would be to live the way you would want to live in your retirement years. Uh, whatever that number is, if you get to that number and you're, and you're on track, that's great. keep doing it. and you might need you might be able to pull back a little bit even. So it's just a helpful tool to help you to know if you are on the right track or not. And lastly I do want to say that um, it's just a cool idea and I think this plays directly off of compound interest that by leveraging the most powerful force in the universe, not including God, compound interest that this 4% pull down off of a big number and that big number of your nest egg can continue to grow over time. And it's like this perpetual money machine, essentially, that's just spitting out dollars, right? That's making money for you, right? For you and your family to allow you to live off of. Um, And to know that you don't have to rely on the government to come in and be there for you, to provide for you. You don't have to rely on A potential job or with any health concerns, to know that you are saving and doing what you need to do to provide for your own retirement. It is a, there's a certain level of peace to that that is really important. I would just say that.
1: All right. So, Lance, let's move into our next segment. This is questions that need answers please, please, please write in your questions to questions at dollarsandhops.com. That's spelled out questions at dollarsandhops.com. This first one I have for you, Lance. Uh, This one says, I was listening to a previous episode where you were talking about different investment options with different companies. How much would you recommend having in international stocks versus US-based stocks? Also, does it matter which brokerage company I go with, Schwab, Fidelity, or Vanguard? Because you mentioned all three. Lance?
0: Good question. Good question. Uh, I So uh, to start the answer to this question, your first question is about domestic versus international exposure. Um, look, it, you've probably listened to the episode, it sounds like, of our index fund uh, episode. If you haven't, go back and check it out. But there we talk about how we believe in investing in low cost, low expense ratio index funds that do take a look at the entire stock market, an entire growth index, an entire S&P 500 index. And there is such thing as an international index fund. Um, I will say I do have an international index fund in my portfolio. I honestly think it's it comes down to preference. I don't know if there's one good number that I could just give you. Um, I think it's important to have some exposure Whether that's 10%, 15%, 20%, I think anywhere in there or less, um, honestly, is fine. I probably wouldn't go more than that. That's just my opinion, my preference. Uh, I think the reason for that is, look, even in a total stock market, that's a total US stock market index fund, many, many of those companies in the United States stock market do business internationally. And so you have some international exposure there for one thing, and especially think about the S&P 500, which are like the 500 largest cap companies on the exchange. I mean, many, if not all of those companies are doing business overseas somewhere. So there's international exposure there as well. So it's like just because you don't have any or don't have much international exposure in your portfolio uh, doesn't mean you don't have any international exposure. So. That's the first thing. Couldn't agree more, Lance.
1: I think the the main thing is don't don't stress out about the percentages. Just get the money in there working for you.
0: Yeah. The, the most important thing here is to find a breakdown that feels comfortable to you. If you think that international is going to be where it's at for the next 10 to 20 years, then I might kick that up to 20 or 30% uh, if you feel comfortable with that. But I don't think it's really that big of a deal. The bigger deal is going to be getting your monthly budget in place to where you have extra cash flow each and every month. Yeah. After you're living and giving and that extra cash flow is going into investing for your future into those low cost index funds. You know, whether you have five, 10, 20% international, that's really kind of secondary. The biggest deal is going to be getting that money to work for you in those low cost index funds. Don't succumb to paralysis by analysis, which, I think Scott and I have both been there, and sometimes we can still go there, and we have to kind of coach each other out of that. I know I can, and um, Scott's a a, a good buddy who's there for me to to kind of kick me in the butt when I I need one, um, when I kind of go down my rabbit hole of analyzing too much. But yeah, I think paralysis by analysis is a real threat to anybody who is probably listening to this podcast, who has some sort of, if you've made it this far...
1: (laughs) Yeah. If you're, if you're 11
0: episodes in, yeah, yeah, there's, there's a chance you might be a financial nerd. We love you. That's right. That's right. Join the club. All right. We've got one more question here, Scott, from a listener here. I'm 32 years old and I was wondering what percentage of my portfolio I should have in stocks versus bonds. What would you recommend, Scott?
1: Yeah. So if you're 32 years old, chances are you're probably not going to be retiring anytime soon. Uh, And even if you are going to be retiring sometime soon, uh, as we've kind of gone through on this episode, it actually makes more sense to have stocks in your portfolio than it does bonds, ironically enough. So most people think of stocks as uh, more risky than bonds, and maybe they are, but when it comes to... Um, return. Stocks provide a greater return than bonds do. Um, History has shown. So if you're 32, you're likely 20, 30 years away from retirement at least. So I would argue maybe 100% stock portfolio is appropriate for you. You have such a long time horizon that you can weather any of the storms that might come in a market downturn. And and if anything, if you do have a market downturn, it's probably a good thing for your investment portfolio because you're able to actually invest at lower prices. So um, if you're 32, I would highly encourage you to have a 100% stock allocation.
0: I couldn't agree more. Uh, in fact, I think I feel pretty strongly about this, and we're going to get into it in a in a subsequent episode where it'll probably get a little more more heated uh, about a passionate discussion about bonds and you know why bonds really really they're really not Lance the answer. doesn't like bonds. They're really not the answer. But neither right? do I. They're, they're not the <laughs> answer, and I think just for <laughs> such a long time they have been uh, touted as such, like the safe place to put your money. And I think I just have an argument against that. And yeah, I, Scott, I, I agree with you. Good job.
1: Awesome. So Lance, let's move into the hops showdown portion of the podcast. I will start it off again. I was drinking the Tropicannon. This is from Heavy Seas Beer out of Hailthorpe, Maryland. Um, this was a citrus IPA to help me get rid of my cold that I have or the Rona, whatever I have, it has a little bit of orange and mango and lemon and all these things that will help me get over my cold. Hopefully. Um, (laughs) this, this was good. It it was good. Um, I, I would, I, I definitely, I can't really smell a whole lot, but I could smell this beer. Uh, I definitely smelled the orange, the grapefruit, I tasted a lot of grapefruit, maybe more so grapefruit than I did orange, um, and it was a good citrus IPA. And overall, I would give it a eighty-seven.
0: Eighty-seven, right on. All right, so I had the River Rat Brewery, the River Rat eight hundred three IPA, the eight hundred three and SC, and you know this this IPA was medium bodied. I'd say it, it did have a level of hops to it. Um, it was a little bit sweet at the end and did have a little bit of a malty finish. Um, definitely got some floral notes, uh, citrus, some some citrus peels, I think, in there for sure. I, I couldn't tell if it was orange or yeah, I think it might have been like an orange type of a citrus, but it was uh, pretty good. Had a little bit of pine in it as well. Uh, it was kind of kind of a brighter IPA, I would call it. So definitely felt like I was uh, relaxing uh, downtown Columbia, chilling out, sipping on this beer—kind of what the picture I had uh, for River Rat Brewery. So I'm excited to visit that one day when the Rona passes. But um, yeah, so I, you know, I think I'll give this one, man. I think an 86. Didn't have the grapefruit finish, so I think uh, you think you gotta have. I think you get you get the edge on it. Didn't have <laughs> the grapefruit, which is one of my preferences.
1: All right, I'll take this one. Before we get out of here, I want to leave everyone with our action step today. Have you looked to see if you're on track for retirement? If you're not yet in retirement, it's important to reverse engineer the 4% rule as we outlined on this podcast to make sure that you're on track. Utilize that compound interest calculator that I love so much, as well as the 4% rule to ensure that you are on track
0: to hit your retirement goals. And Remember, that 4% rule is going to allow you to pull down a certain amount of dollars every month, every year for the rest of your living life and still have money left over to give that to your heirs or to different charities. So it's really a cool legacy to leave. This is Lance. This is Scott. Live and give on Lesson You Make. And invest the difference. Dollars and hops out. You have been listening to the Dollars and Hops Podcast. Optimizing your financial future starts with taking action today. Got a question? Shoot us an email at questions at and the guys will tackle it on a future episode. Visit our website, dollarsandhops.com, for show notes and the craft brew lineup for each episode. And please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Thanks for listening.